0: This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.
1: Good morning and a welcome to episode number 75 of Go-To Grandma. Hi, it's me. I'm not the problem. I'm Kathy Buckworth, your Go-To Grandma. Those of you who are music lovers or who can't escape the barrage of music from your kids or grandkids might recognize that opening from a Taylor Swift song. My three-year-old grandson is a Swifty. His mom, my daughter, is potentially Taylor Swift's biggest fan. She plays her music constantly, and as a result, Owen can sing along to most of her songs. Growing up, I might have had to listen to my dad playing Herb Alpert and the Tijuana Brass on his LP, or maybe some Peggy Lee. Hey, Big Spender is ingrained in my brain. Did I mention my dad was a bankruptcy trustee? My kids have a mixture of music in their background, from Sharon, Lois, and Bram through to the Bee Gees, and much to their dismay, the Carpenters. But one of my kids has inherited my high school favorite group, Queen. Music unites us. It divides us. I cannot with my son's love of Fetty Wap or my other son's love of country music, but it also defines us in how we think. Music was a huge part of author Adriana Barton's life, and her book, Wired for Music, A Search for Health and Joy Through the Science of Sound, is not only a fascinating read, it's also a great comfort to those of us who took piano lessons at six and played the clarinet and alto sax in school and thought it was all for naught. It stays with us. I know the sound of my then six-year-old kid playing violin will stay with me forever as well. I'm talking to Adriana today about the effect of music on your body and brain. While I wasn't able to master anything musically, my love of the written word has stayed with me since I wandered into the children's room at the library near our house in Winnipeg. I've written six books, but I've probably read about 60,000. How do we become voracious readers, and how can we pass this to our grandkids? Susan Jasper is the executive director and founder of Telling Tales, a charity committed to encouraging grandparents to foster a love of reading in their grandkids. She'll share some of her favourite books to get you started. And as we build our future readers, we segue smoothly into our Take 5 with RBC interview this week, which is all about RBC Future Launch, RBC's largest ever financial commitment to help young people, like our kids and grandkids, prepare for the future of work. I foresee that this will be a conversation you won't want to miss. I also predict that this won't be my first cup of coffee and that you will stay tuned for the next half hour. I'm Kathy Buckworth. You're listening to Grandma, and Adriana Barton is up first. Adriana Barton is a journalist, author and former staff reporter at The Globe and Mail covering health. Earlier in life, she spent 17 years studying to become a classical cellist, starting at the age of five. Intensive music training left her with physical injuries and a growing confusion about what music was really for. Years later, as a health journalist, she kept seeing remarkable studies about music's effects on the human body and brain. As she found her way back to music, she blended her research and insights in her new book, Wired for Music, A Search for Health and Joy Through the Science of Sound. Good morning, Adriana. Thank you so much for being on the show today. It's my pleasure, Kathy. I totally enjoyed reading your book. It was so interesting to me as someone who suffered through piano lessons as a 10-year-old to discover that hopefully those lessons still at the age of 59 might not have been all in vain. (laughs)
2: Well, that's what I noticed in the research, that some of the benefits seem to persist long into adulthood.
1: Absolutely. And, and I'm just going to read a quick quote of your book to sort of set the tone here. In a series of studies, the more years people had played an instrument by the age of 60 and up, the higher their scores on tests of working memory and executive functioning, the type of thinking needed to carry out everyday tasks, such as managing a bank account or keeping track of a doctor's appointments. The link between music and mental faculties persisted regardless of education level physical activity and other lifestyle factors. So interesting.
2: It is. And as a journalist, I'm very careful not to overstate the case for music as much as I am a fan. So that is very compelling research. I think a lot more needs to be done because Mm -hmm. although they did their best to control for different factors that might explain the benefits found, you never know if there could be something else at work. But Mm -hmm. certainly it's promising for those of us who took music lessons early in life.
1: And when we say took music lessons, of course, Adriana, you had a a very you know, professional career at music. Tell me a little bit about that to start.
2: Well, it was very rigorous training, mm-hmm. as you say. I was enrolled at age five in uh, a pretty formal conservatory, and that wasn't, you know, Saturday afternoon cello lessons. It was a whole battery of training solfege, which is sight singing, theory, orchestra, uh, chamber music, and private lessons, and they they were all free of charge, but what I didn't know at five was that I was expected to train to become a professional musician before I even uh, knew how to read. <laughs> so yeah, right. I was just learning to read at the same time I was learning music, uh, learning to read music. And so it was a system that had, had a, a goal. It was, I, I joke sometimes that it was a Faustian bargain. <laughs> and it wasn't until later that I sort of questioned this whole pursuit. Is this really what I wanted? Is this, you know, going to be giving me the life that I hope for.
1: Yeah, and you tell a very personal story, of course, around your own experience with music, but the book itself expands, of course, into some other themes that we can all take something away from. What are the main themes in this book?
2: Well, the reason I chose the title Wired for Music was that I want people to know that we are all, almost without exception, exquisitely wired for music. So even people who might feel that they're tone deaf or can't carry a beat to save their life, even those people are extremely musical because the cognitive ability to enjoy music is very complex. The ability to hear the sounds, to hear the steady rhythm in music is something most of us have at birth.
1: Yeah, and it's funny you mentioned about tone deaf and if you are tone deaf to sing and listen back to yourself singing and if you can pick out the fact that you're off key, you're probably not tone deaf. Is that, Have I got that right? That's exactly right, (laughs) and the correct term is amusia, but people with that condition,
2: and it's considered a neurological condition, comprise less than 2% of the population. So that's very rare, and problems with discriminating between regular beats and irregular beats are also Hmm. very, very rare. So most people who feel unmusical or report being unmusical, and that might be up to 20% of us, the difference between our true abilities and how we perceive our musicality often has to do with culture mm-hmm. and the experiences we
1: had when we were young being shamed in a, mm-hmm. in a school choir because we, we hadn't quite developed our vocal cords yet. So we talked a little bit at the beginning of this about there are research studies done. It's obviously difficult sometimes to pull out causation, etc., but... In your opinion, how can music support healthy aging?
2: Many, many ways, actually. I mean, one of the things that the research is showing is that loneliness Mm. later in life doubles your risk for dementia. And it also is equivalent to the health effects of smoking 15 cigarettes a day. I mean, that's a major, major thing we need to ward against. And there seems to be something about music or more than one thing that is sort of a fast acting antidote to loneliness. So they've they've taken people over the age of 60 and exposed them to different types of leisure activities such as crafting or book clubs or that's or singing together in a group and they found that the singing group bonded together faster so after one month of singing together casually in a in a you know an older adult situation people found that they felt a a sense of social connection. And the other groups took longer to feel that same warm fuzzies with each other. So that's an interesting finding. Another is that when we sing or make music with each other, there's a release of oxytocin in our bodies. And oxytocin, as we know, is associated with social bonding. And then our brain waves start to entrain together. And, And by that, I mean the oscillations in the brain start to synchronize with each other and with the steady beat of the music. And when that happens, people report, report feeling more pleasure in the music and more feelings of social connection. So those are lots of things going on above and beyond any sort of sharpening of working memory or executive functioning that we might see
1: Yeah, and you mentioned the choir aspect, which you talk about in the book, which I I loved. Do you have any suggestions about the best ways to get involved in music later in life, whether we have a musical background or don't have a musical background?
2: That is something that I found really inspiring when I was doing my research, that there are choirs organized for people who feel, who have a self-concept of being unmusical. And some of these groups are called fun things like can't sing no way or <laughs> Love tone deaf choirs, you know, yeah. can't sing choirs, to let people know they're not alone in feeling that way. And generally those groups sort of boost people's feelings of, of, of safety and make it into a bit of a lighthearted thing and gradually teach people that sometimes it has to do with developing a bit of vocal control or even just having the courage to take that first step. And I I love that when I've traveled, I've included various travel stories in the book and found that in many places of the world, such as Poland or Brazil or other places, people participate in singing at all skill levels. They, from a very young age, have been part of singing around the table on Christmas Eve or being part of the giant parades and carnival, belting out the, the tunes that everybody knows and nobody looks at them if they sing a little bit off key or a little bit scratchy voice because
1: it's understood that that music is for everyone. And this book is wonderful and it is for everyone. And it is called Wired for Music, a search for health and joy through the science of sound written by our guest, Adriana Barton. And we can find you at AdrianaBarton.com. Thank you so much for being on the show today. Thank you for your interest in Wired for Music, and I just love your show. Thank you so much, Adriana. Thank you. Bye. Susan Jasper is a granny who, like so many grandparents, is passionate about sharing great books with children and youth. She worked for 20 years in the publishing world and is proud of her years working as the children's marketing director for McClelland & Stewart. Susan is also a dedicated Rotarian. It was with the help of the Rotary community that she started a children's literary festival 15 years ago known as Telling Tales, where she serves as executive director. Good morning, Susan. Thanks so much for being on Go To Grandma this morning. Good morning, Kathy. Thank you so much for having us. It's so exciting to talk about reading. I am a voracious reader, as are my grandsons, who are still very young at about 20 months and three years old, although my 20-month-old grandson will lie in his crib and yell, read a book! So we're, <laughs> we're loving reading and reading to them. But tell me, Susan, in your opinion, all the work you've done with Telling Tales, why is nurturing a love of books and reading so important?
0: Oh, it's so important on so many levels. I mean, reading, it really is the golden key. It's the foundation of of all learning. So if you can awaken that love of reading, which you've obviously done a great <laughs> job of doing, it's going to help them so much, not just in school, but, you know, throughout their lives. It's, it's just to awaken a passion that's uh, such an affordable way to enter self-entertain.
1: Yeah, it's such an affordable way is key. I mentioned in my intro that I—I I mean, I used to live at the library and I still do. This doesn't have to be an expensive venture.
0: Exactly, exactly. All the books and, and, you know, there's so much knowledge with your local librarian that can help you define the right books. But, uh, you know, there's, it's anything we can do to help, you know, uh, trigger their imagination and foster that ima- imagination. It's such an important muscle that we've been given and and it's exercised so beautifully when you're reading and talking about a book so much more than, you know, a, a passive experience watching the screen. And I think it's so important these days, too, that books help us to just awaken that, those social and emotional skills that are so important. So when you can See, we always talk about windows and windows and mirrors. Mm-hmm. And when you can see into another life uh, that's similar to yours or different than yours, and empathize, you know that really, really helps build compassion, which is which is so important. But I think the, the grandparent experience—it was one of the great joys—is as you've done—is is just to help children to associate um, reading with a special, special time where they can cuddle up and have a giggle together, and, and if, if you can, you know, make that connection that books are just one of the most special times we have as grandparents or parents bonding, then, then I think that's half the battle, that they'll always remember that.
1: I agree. And I love what you say about social messaging as well. I know I used to read my grandson when he was just a teenier, the three-year-old, a book called Baby Mm Feminist, which I love that there's books now. And there's one that we read called The Knight and the Prince. So it's breaking up some of those heteronormative things as well. When the kids are young, they don't even know really they're getting this wonderful messaging through the stories that we tell them.
0: It's so true. And the books are getting so exciting for this, the messaging too. (laughs) It's just so, wonderful, wonderful things happening in
1: the publishing world. There. Absolutely, absolutely. Now tell me a little bit before we get into some books that you recommend, um, tell me a little bit about Telling Tales for our listeners that don't know anything about it. I
0: would love to. So Telling Tales began 15 years ago as a festival and it was inspired very much by Rotary. I'm a Rotarian and they really believe in the importance of literacy. Is a great a great equalizer to this. So we began this festival, and the festival goes on this year. It'll be at the Royal Botanical Gardens in September. It's free. And, uh, and when people think of Telling Tales, they think of the festival first. And, and it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful grandparent-parent experience where we showcase over 35 of Canada's top children's authors, illustrators, storytellers and musicians. And we, we, we really, really focus on the Canadian because there's they need a platform and there's so much talent there. And at the festival, you can also, there's a book swap, there's an autograph thing, you can uh, meet literary characters, there's a story box, So it's just a whole world where stories rule, you know, that, mm-hmm. that, that reading, that, that whole culture, just sort of saying to the whole, to kids that reading is so important. And then we've grown from there, uh, so that there, there's offerings all year round, any time. You can hop on our reading list and search by age or theme or author, illustrator, and find books that have been curated by our friends at the Hamilton Public Library, and you can really count on finding quality there. Oh, that's so cool.
1: Yeah, yeah, that makes yeah. it easier. And we can go to tellingtales.org for that. But before we go there, tell me about some of you know you books that you've discovered as a granny. You have, I think you said, a five-year-old grandchild. So books that you would like to recommend for maybe a preschool kindergarten child.
0: I would love to share. Uh, my experience has been interesting because my grandson's slightly on the spectrum, mm-hmm. so it's been speech delayed. So here I am with Thousands of books (laughs) ready to read them, and you know, at first, you know, it was a bit of a journey to get him talking, and the words are coming now. It's so so exciting. But one of the books that, one of the most simple things, uh, is helping books that rhyme and Mm. getting them to help finish the sentence. So it was just the most exciting moment for a granny for me when we were reading the classic Dennis Lee alligator pie. Nice. And when he could finally finish, you know, give away the green grass, give away the sky, but don't give away my, and if you pause and and let them finish it, it's so exciting when they they know the rhyme and fill in. So so that has been a true classic. And there's an illustrator called Cale Atkinson, whose books we have so many books, and oh, we have books in the kitchen, books in the bathroom, mm-hmm. books in the car. Perfect. But my grandson is always drawn to the Cale Atkinson illustrations because they're, they're so funny, and there's so much detail. He's lots of, lots of funny ones. So he's, he's an illustrator to watch. Mm-hmm. But if there's one book that, um, that really, really charmed me this year, and it's a book by a favorite illustrator-author of ours, Ruth Ohi, mm-hmm. and it's called Blanket, and it, it's wordless. And so it actually would work at several ranges because you can make up the story at the the level you're at. But it's just the sweetest story about a a little kitten creature who um, wakes up not ready for the world, not ready to even get out from under the blanket and looks like she's gonna. in the picture, looks like she's going to spend the whole day under a blanket. But then her, it's about, you know, dealing with anxiety and isolation, but also friendship. So a, a lovely little puppy friend comes along and soon they're playing under the, making faces under the blanket, and they find a flashlight. And what I did with my grandson is we acted this all out and we're nice. telling the story ourselves. And, and then they make a Ford, and then they make... A, um, rabbit shadows under it and, 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 you know, slowly through the fun and the creative play, they, they come out and sit and have a picnic at the end of it. So it's the simplest of things, but it was, it was one of those books where we had to react it out about five times the first night we read it. And the first thing we reached for in the morning was the blanket to do again. So I was just. Charmed by the
1: power. And you're right. You don't need a book with tons of words in it. You just need that great story and that great engagement. Thank you so much for this interview, Susan. And again, we can go to tellingtales.org for more information. Thank you. Thank you for your time. Take care. Take care. Mark Beckles is VP Social Impact and Innovation and leads the execution of RBC's community investment portfolios, including RBC Future Launch, helping young people prepare for the future of work. Mark has over 25 years of experience in financial services across banking, insurance, risk management, and nonprofit leadership. Good morning, Mark. Thanks for joining our Take Five with RBC segment today. We're going to be talking about RBC Future Launch.
3: Well, thank you for having me, and I'm looking forward to the conversation.
1: So let's get right into it. So, when did it start? Has it been going? And what may be coming for the program in the near term?
3: Well, we launched RBC Future Launch in 2017 in response to what young people were telling us about not feeling prepared for the future of work and not having job-ready networks, not having access to mental well-being supports and services, uh, and not having the kinds of experience that would help them be ready for work. And we launched Future Launch in response uh, to what they told us. And over the last number of years, we've had tremendous success. We've reached well over uh, 5 million young people who have benefited from RBC Future Launch programs and who have told us uh, that it's made a tremendous difference uh, in their lives. And as we think about Future Launch 2.0, we're thinking about how we can reach even more uh, young people and get to, in particular, barriered young people right across Canada – uh, who are facing the same challenges, particularly in the wake of the pandemic, in the wake of the downturn in the, the economy, uh, in the wake of, you know, other social challenges that they're facing. You know, we keep challenging ourselves to say, what more can we do to ensure that that next generation of young Canadians is absolutely prepared for the opportunities for tomorrow
1: so you're right over the last couple of years the world has changed quite a bit and while Absolutely. youth and while youth and young adults were significantly impacted they're also in a position to make positive change can you share some more about future launch and how it serves to support them in the future sure
3: so uh, when we think about uh, future launch and we think about engaging uh, young people in making positive change uh, in the world We've actually been partnering with other parts of RBC uh, to uh, think about, you know, the opportunities to engage them in partnering on social issues and giving back and con- consistently raising awareness of the opportunities that they have to support uh, issues like uh, youth empowerment, to support uh, climate, to support equity and inclusion, and so on. And so, one of the things that we did a number of uh, well two years ago is that we as we executed RBC Future Launch, worked with our internal partners at RBC to create a program called uh, Get uh, 60, uh, Give 60. And what that allowed young people to do was to donate $60 to a charity of their choice to support uh, you know, issues and, and concerns uh, that matter to them Uh, in order to continue to fuel economic and social prosperity and that program has worked exceptionally well.
1: Yeah, and I understand now that it's worked so well that now we're looking at Get 75, Give 75. So can you tell me about the inspiration for the offer and where our audience can find out more?
3: So, you know, it's a great question because what we realized just based on the response uh, from young people that we had an opportunity to do even more. So uh, Get 75, Give 75 can be found at rbc.com forward slash Get 75, Give 75. Since we launched uh, Get 60, Give 60, we've been able to donate on behalf of young people well over $320,000 to organizations across uh, Canada. And once again, what we learned through this is the top causes that matter to young people are mental health, uh, climate Uh, and other social and economic uh, uh, issues. Uh, With the high success and engagement of the campaign in its first year, we realized that we had an opportunity to increase the amount that we could commit uh, to this and, again, engage young people in advancing our social purpose.
1: It's such a terrific program for our kids and, of course, for our grandkids as well. Thanks so much for sharing that information today, Mark. Really appreciate it. And, again, the website is rbc.com slash get75give75.
3: Thanks so much for having me.
1: Life can only be understood backwards, but it must be lived forwards. Bet you didn't think you'd get Kierkegaard so early on a Saturday morning, did you? As we move forward to next week's show, I'd like to thank Adriana, Susan, and Mark for helping us to see what we do as grandparents and as people matters, not only to us, but to future generations. And now back to the future as we look at next week's guests. Author Ann Douglas is back on the show as we delve deeper into her book, Navigating the Messy Middle. This time, we're going to look at the importance of female friendships after the age of 50 and how we can lift each other up through this extraordinary time of our lives. Sherilyn Starkey decided to do something extraordinary when she launched her podcast, 50 Women Over 50. I was lucky enough to be interviewed by Sherilyn for this podcast, joining a cast of other women who, like me, are happy to share the view from here. I turned 60 in April, so maybe I'll have to encourage Sherry Lynn to start a 60 over 60 podcast then. And as I approach 60, I'm reminded that everything changes, including the way we live and where we live. Our Take 5 with RBC interview next week is all about aging in place, so I need you to be in place to hear that one as well. And finally, some big news to share with you all. In May this year, I'm going to become a grandma of three. Big brothers Owen and Cam will be welcoming a little sister, and we all couldn't be more excited. Thanks for dropping by. I hope you got some fun and facts, as usual, and that you'll continue to join us on our grand journey. I'm Kathy Buckworth, and you've been listening to Go To Grandma.
0: Share your thoughts on this show with us. You can find Kathy on Twitter, at Kathy Buckworth, or email her, kathy at kathybuckworth.com.